Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. Today we have a very special guest, Rachel Bruno, and she is coming out with a book. Um, She's joining us today. She's going to explain the nefarious system of CPS. We've had uh, very many other mothers on with us. And today I would like to bring you Rachel Bruno. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me on. Most definitely. I I did check your uh, book link out and I will be sharing that on the wall shortly. Um, Rachel, could you give us a little bit of background of yourself and um, what transpired with CPS and and nefarious acts of them? Sure. Now, as you said, my name is Rachel. I have been married to my husband for 19 years. I have two children. Their names are Lucas and David. They are now six and eight years old. But all this conspired back in 2015 after the birth of my second son, Lucas. At that point, my husband and I had been married for 10 years. We owned our own cybersecurity business. I had gone to graduate school, gotten my MBA, and I took care of the business side. He took care of the technical side. Everything seemed to be going according to plan until the birth of my second son. Now, a little background, medical background on myself. I have seizures. I have epilepsy. And one of the main triggers of my episodes are sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. Now, for all you new moms out there, you know that if you have a newborn, you ain't sleeping. (laughs) So my doctor suggested that I get somebody to help me, at least with the night shift. And that's when we decided to hire a postpartum doula. She would watch the baby from 10 o'clock at night until six o'clock in the morning so that I could get those eight hours of sleep. And she started watching him when he was about seven weeks old. Everything seemed well. I started hearing him scream at four o'clock in the morning when he was seven weeks old. And I looked at the clock, I saw four o'clock. I assumed it was feeding time or changing time, something to that extent. He would start crying, then he would stop crying. Then he started again, then he stopped again. This went on for about 30 minutes until I finally decided to get up and see what was going on. She had him swaddled inside the crib and was shushing him, trying to calm him down. She picked him up and put him in a burp position on her shoulder. And when she did that, he sort of stopped screaming, but he was really uncomfortable. And she showed me the empty bottle and she said she had just fed him and that he was really gassy. And I figured, okay, you know, fair enough, babies get gassy. So I told her to go home because he was not settling down. At this point, I was home alone. My husband was out of state on a business trip. I had my 20-month-old son, David, who was sleeping directly across the hall, and the seven-week-old screaming baby. I unswaddled him, tried to see if there were any physical signs, you know, drainage, rashes, typical things that we would look for, and no signs of physical illness whatsoever that I could see. So I just gave him skin to skin. He fell asleep on me. I figured, okay, you just wanted your mom. Three hours later, he wakes up screaming. I figure he's hungry. I tried to nurse him and he would not do it. He was not having it. I had never had issues with him before, but you know, the nanny sort of had me jaded thinking it was gas. The doctor Googled to the rescue, gassiness, colic, nursing strike, you know, all of the above is what I could think of. Six hours later, this baby would not stop 
crying. He would not nurse. He would not sleep. I could not put him down. Like I had no idea what was wrong with this kid. I called the pediatrician and she said that they wouldn't be able to see him until three o'clock that afternoon. And I told the receptionist, he's been screaming since four o'clock this morning. He's not eating. I need to see somebody. So the receptionist told me, okay, then take him to the emergency room. So at this point, I call my mom. My husband is still out of town. I need somebody to watch my older son, but everybody hops in the car with me. We get to the hospital. By this point, my son has stopped crying. He seems to be sleeping to me. I tell the nurse, you know, what his symptoms were. She checks his vital signs. Everything seems okay. But the doctor does come right away. He tells me to lay my son down on the bed and he walks away. And I figure, you know, great probably going to tell me to give him Benadryl or something. But he stops at the doorway and he just stares at my son for like 30 seconds. And that whole room is quiet. Everybody is just staring at my son. I'm like, this is weird. What's going on? The doctor starts walking towards the bed and he touches my son's head right behind his left ear. And he asks me, did you feel this? I look up at him. I say, no. He grabs my hand and he makes me touch it. It's like, you feel that bulge? I'm like, I do. He says, that's fluid that's leaking from your son's brain. We need to go do a CT scan right now and see what kind of fluid it is. It could be spinal cerebral fluid, it can be blood. And when he says that, like 10 people rush into that room and they start placing probes all over my son. They raise up the rails of the bed and they bolt towards that CT room. So I just go out to my mom. I'm in shock. You know, I'm texting my husband. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. He's doing CT scan right now. Just pray. Doctors come back with the results. They take me to the back room where all the monitors are. And he tells me, Miss Bruno, this is very serious. The CT scan is showing a cranial fracture and intracerebral blood hemorrhage. So the fluid that's leaking is blood. The brain hates blood. We need to go do emergency surgery right now. And he's handing me all the liability forms. Are you against blood transfusions? I'm like, I don't care what you have to do to save my son, save my son. And off they go, wheeling my seven week old baby into brain surgery. My head is spinning. Okay, I have no idea what the heck is going on. I do call the nanny from the hospital. I ask her, you know, anything happened last night? And she told me no. And I said, well, remember all that fussiness this morning? He is in brain surgery now. And she acted really shocked and said the only thing she could think of was maybe his head got too close to the crib rail. And I said, okay, you know, I really, it really didn't go through my mind that this could have been done on purpose, maliciously or intentionally. It didn't register with me that a fracture was like the actual bone being broken. I just figured he is a newborn the cranium isn't completely completely grown, right? It's not secure. You have those little loose flaps. And I figured one of those flaps popped open and the blood was maybe due to an aneurysm. I had no idea. So he goes into surgery. Four hours later, the doctors come back. They tell me he's stable. But due to his young age, they don't know whether he's going to survive the next 48 hours. He was having 15 seizures an hour. They had him in a medically induced coma to try to figure out what cocktail to give him. And while I'm there in the PICU, I see a man in uniform slide the door open. He's with another lady that has a clipboard. And he says, "Miss Bruno, can we speak to you? 
And I turn around, I thought it was weird, right? What's the police officer doing here? And the first words that come out of his mouth is what happened to your son was worse than getting shot in the head by a bullet. We wanna help you figure out what happened to your son. Will you help us? So at this point, you know, bullet to the head, I'm thinking, okay, are you accusing this woman of having tried to kill my son? And if you're asking me for help, you know, you obviously don't think it's me, you're gonna go after her. This is the internal conversation I'm having with myself. So I sit down with them, tell them the whole saga from four o'clock in the morning until now at the hospital. And the whole time, you know, the cop is just standing, leaning up against the wall. He starts questioning me, kind of insinuating little things. Why did it take you so long to bring him to the hospital? I said, because I didn't know what was wrong with him. She told me he was gassy. Why did you bring him to a hospital in Orange County when you live in LA County? Because this is the children's hospital that I know. Like, why didn't you call 911? Said again, because I thought he was gassy. The social worker kind of cuts him off. She says, yes, I understand. You know, trying to play good cop, bad cop here. And she asked me if I have any other children. So at this point, no, again, I'm cooperating. These people are here to help me. So I tell her, yes, I have my other son. He's at my mom's house. And she says, is it okay if we go see him? And I told her he's probably asleep by now. And she said, we're not gonna wake him. We just wanna make sure he's okay. So me thinking I have nothing to hide. Well, you wanna go see my son, go ahead. I call my mom, tell her that the social worker's on her way. She leaves at that point. The police officer stays with me, waiting for my husband to arrive from the airport straight to the hospital. And as soon as my husband arrives, he puts me in one room, takes my husband to another room, and talks to him separately. He asks me if I'll wait for the detectives that were on their way. The detectives didn't show up to the hospital till close to midnight, and they interviewed me till two o'clock in the morning. Mind you, I'd been up since four o'clock in the morning before, so essentially almost up for 24 hours. My son is in a medically induced coma. I don't know whether he's going to live. I don't know what's going on. And I just tell these people, you know, I need to sleep. So I will continue this later today if you would like, but I need to get some sleep. I go to bed when I wake up at about 10 o'clock that morning. My husband is just staring at me, this blank stare on his face. And my first instinct is to look at the bed, to look at my baby. He's alive. What's going on? What's wrong? And my husband just looks at me and says, they took David. And I'm, well, what do you mean they took David? Who? Where? And they lied to me. They said they were just going to see if he was okay. And my husband, that's not what they did. They showed up at your mom's house at two o'clock in the morning with three police cars. And they took David. Again, I'm in shock. I call my mom. My mom is in tears. I asked her what happened. She said they came into her house. They walked through, they opened the refrigerators. They asked where my son was sleeping. They turned on the light, woke up my son and tell my mom we're taking him. And my mom said, no, you're not. And the social worker says, if you don't give him to us, we're gonna arrest you. And my mom says, okay, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? And she says, no, he's gonna go to foster care. And you're not going to be able to care for him because you're going to have a criminal record. So it's two o'clock in the morning. The police officers are all there. They don't say one word to my mom. 
know, they knew very well that my mom had done nothing criminal in order to be arrested. They didn't even have a warrant to take my son at that point or a court order. But we just had no idea what was going on. You know, we did not know our rights. We were ignorant, naive. We trusted these people. So at this point, my mom hands my son to the social worker. And my son is kicking and screaming. My mom has to strap him into the car seat. And they drive off into the middle of the night, give my mom a business card, and tell her to call them the next day. So here we are the next day calling. Nobody will answer the phone. We don't know where my son is. I start calling lawyers until I call about 10 different lawyers until I finally get one who's willing to talk to me that day. I go to his office and I'm like, okay, where is my son and where do I go get him? And he tells me, he points to the chair. He says, sit down. You have no idea what you're in for. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is obviously, they can't just come and take my kid. I, what, where is he? Where do I go get him? And he says, listen to me. What happened to your son is criminal. You are facing 15 years in jail and a $100,000 bail if they decide to charge you. I'm like, I didn't do this. Like, why, what? Like, what about the nanny? What about our constitution? What about innocent until proven guilty? What the heck is going on here? And he says, they may go after the nanny, they may not. But right now, the reality is you're not getting your kids back. If I go into that courtroom and ask the judge to give those kids back to you, social services is gonna pull up the criminal investigation. They're gonna tell the judge that he's placing these children at risk by giving them back to you. They're not gonna give them back to you. They're gonna go to foster care. And if they are in the foster family, for longer than six months, they can be legally adopted and they will make it last longer than six months. And I nearly fell off my chair. I'm like, what? Like jail, adoption, six months? Like, what are you talking about? I didn't do this. And he said, I believe you, doesn't matter. This is family court. They don't follow constitutional law. And I'm like, what other law is there? Like they can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. And he goes on, my saving grace is that your husband was out of town when this happened. So legally speaking, he wasn't even at the crime scene. We are gonna ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. That way they don't even risk going into foster care. But if the judge grants that, they're gonna kick you out of the house. So at this point, you know, what choice did I have? Go into that courtroom and fight for my quote unquote rights and risk losing my children to strangers and adoption or letting them be with their father and put myself through the ringer. And I told him, you know, you can do whatever the heck you want to me, leave my children alone. And that's what happened 72 hours later at the emergency hearing. I thought it was gonna be, you know, at least Judge Judy <laughs> where the judge is there, ask one side one thing, ask the other side one thing. And we kind of get to present both sides of the story. And it was nothing like that. When I got in that courtroom, the nanny wasn't there. The social worker wasn't there. The detectives weren't there. The police officers weren't there. Nobody was there. Nobody was on trial but me. And I never got to speak one word in that courtroom. Only time the judge talked to me was asking me if I objected to my children being placed with my husband. And I said, no. And he says, all right, children will be placed with their 
biological father, Mrs. Bruno, you have 24 hours to vacate your home. You are court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes, and individual counseling. Caseworker will be contacting you regarding visitation. Court is adjourned. And I walk out of that courtroom bawling with my mom, still in shock, you know, that within 72 hours, everything was taken away from me. I was kicked out of my house. I was not able to contact my husband and both my children were now wards of the state. I go to my house. I remove everything I have. You know, my lawyer told me you don't leave one toothbrush in that house. The caseworker is going to come visit the house. And if they find anything in there that's yours, they're going to use it against you. I go live in the hospital while my son is in the hospital. I had nowhere else to go. And I stayed there for about a week until people at my church found out what was going on. And they offered me their homes to go live with them. I had, thankfully, by the grace of God, I had so many people around me who supported me and they never questioned my character. They never once questioned whether I did this or not. But it was horrifying that this was happening in the United States of America. And during the time I was kicked out of the house, taking those child abuse classes, I figured I was going to be in there with a bunch of drug addicts, alcoholics, you know, domestic violence, tattooed, pierced up people. And when I get in there, everybody's in the same boat as I was. They could complete my sentences. They knew the diagnoses. They knew, they knew the caseworkers. They knew the judges. And I'm like, what? What? Like, this is normal? <laughs> this happens regularly? And even the people who were in charge of the classes, they're like, yeah, they do this all the time. And I'm like, why? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why? And of course, nothing new under the sun, follow the money. I began researching, you know, when they took my son at two o'clock in the morning, we found out that he was taken to the county children's shelter, to the homeless children's shelter, where they later released him to my mom because my mom was a public school teacher. So she was fingerprinted and she was a mandated reporter. And upon his release, they asked my mom if she would adopt my children before I ever had a hearing, before there was any investigation, before they even ever spoke to the nanny, they asked my mom if she wanted to adopt my sons. And my mom's like, no, give them back to their mom to whom they belong. And the social worker says, well, we don't know what the court is going to order. So in case the judge orders the removal of the children, will you adopt them? My mom asked, what happens if I don't? They go to foster care. So my mom signed adoption papers and when she did, the social worker hands her two checks for $680 each. She tells my mom, you'll be receiving $680 a month per child. They will both qualify for Medicaid. They qualify for WIC and all the social welfare programs that we had in the state of California. My mom says, I don't want your money. And the social worker tells her, well, this is how we help the families. My mom holds up those checks and says, can I save it for the lawyers? <laughs> and the social worker says, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> so it's all about the money is what I learned when I was in that child abuse class. There were cases of, you know, playground accidents, children falling off a swing, breaking a tibia, child abuse. There was a case of an 18 year old father 
who slipped in the bathtub while giving his baby a bath. He took her to the hospital, tells them the story, and because it was fractured in more than one place, child abuse. Now he's 18 years old, doesn't have any money, gets a public defender. Public defender tells him to plea bargain with the judge. Now again, for an accident, something he did not commit, it was an accident. But he tells the judge he's sorry, and instead of 15 years in jail, he'll do two years in jail. And now he's in that child abuse class with me, still fighting to get his daughter back. But because he went to jail, he has a criminal record, can't find a job. Social services, of course, is going to use that against him. There was another father in there who had a 15-year-old daughter who was posting naked pictures of herself on Instagram. And grown men asking for sexual favors. He grounded her. He took away the phone. He took away the car. He did everything he possibly could. And one night in his midnight shift, he was scrolling through his phone. And she's posting naked pictures of herself on her friend's account. So he gets home and he says, I don't know what to do with you anymore. And he spanks her. Now, interestingly enough, her biological father was a drug dealer and he was in jail. He called, she calls her father and her father tells her, you want to get rid of him? Call the cops and tell them that he hit you. So she did. And the cops show up. This stepfather who was trying to protect his 15 year old daughter from posting naked pictures of herself gets arrested, and all the other four minor children get taken and placed in foster care. And this father was there in that child abuse class with me. So I'm hearing all these stories and nothing makes sense. Like this does not make sense. So Dr. Google researching, I find out about the Adoptions and Safe Families Act, which was signed into law by Bill Clinton in 1997, which basically gives federal funding to the states for every child that is placed in foster care. So those $680 that they offered my mom, that's what my mom is getting. But the state is getting anywhere from $2,000 to $8,000 per person per child. And there's currently over 435,000 children in foster care. That is a lot of money. But in my case, you know, I was kicked out of the house. I was taking those child abuse classes. On the 40th day, I was kicked out of the house for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> On the 40th day, I had a hearing. And my attorney tells me, don't even bother coming to court today. Your criminal case is still open. The status of your investigation hasn't changed. Don't waste your time. I won't waste mine. I tell my husband, and my husband says, I don't care what he says. We're going. So we go to the courthouse. We wait. He calls me. Where are you? I'm at the courthouse. Like, I'm on my way. Might be able to do something. He goes into that courtroom, comes back out with a stack of papers, tells me initial this, sign this, initial that. I don't even know what I'm signing or what I'm initialing at this point. I'm just trusting God. And about three hours later, he comes back with the 700 pages. And he says, okay, if you're willing to sign this document, the way it's written today, there's nothing in here admitting guilt. There's nothing in here saying that you did this. But if you sign this today, they will let you go home today. Now, at this point, if they had told me to cut my leg off, I would have done it, right? I just wanted to be home with my babies. I was getting seven hours a week of monitored visitation with both my sons. I signed those papers that day. I went home that day. And my lawyer told me, I've been doing this for 23 years. And I have never seen them let anybody go home before trial. 
you definitely have a higher power working for you. And I said, yes, I do. Praise God. I went home. Case went on for six months where the social worker would visit our house for once a month. At the end of the six months, it was her recommendation that the case be closed. And the case was closed. The criminal investigation was closed. But I just, I couldn't be quiet. Witnessing what I had witnessing, what I had seen of all these other families in that child abuse class who didn't have the financial resources I did, who didn't have the family or community support that I did, who didn't have the education that I did, yet their children were ripped away from them. Out of those 30 parents in the child abuse class, I think three of us got our kids back. So I contacted a civil rights attorney. His name is Sean McMillan. He's very well known in California. That's all he does is sue CPS. And we sued Orange County, LA County, the hospital, the detectives, the sheriff's department, the social workers. We deposed them. I have over 28 hours worth of video of their depositions where they admit that there were no exigent circumstances to take my son, where they admit they did not get a warrant to take my sons. I have their text messages of them exchanging conversation back and forth before they ever interviewed me, where the social worker says to her supervisor that she's heading to the hospital for an infant with a cranial fracture that was with the nanny, her mom. Supervisor replies back, OMG, do you think it was the nanny? And the social worker replies back, no, think mom. And it was mind blowing to see all this. I also got my son's records, which are sealed right in family court. They're all sealed until they're 18 years old. But because we were suing them, we were able to get them through discovery. And only then did I find out that they gave my son 13 vaccinations without our consent, without a court order. They forced my 20-month-old son through a full skeletal survey. They gave my son an anal wink test, which is for sexual abuse when there weren't even any allegations of sexual abuse. They never investigated the nanny. They spoke to her once. She did take a polygraph, which came back inconclusive, and she refused to take another one. I later found out that she was married to a police officer. And my private investigator told me at that point that they're not going to go after her. So it was a lot of, you know, a lot of betrayal. I felt betrayed, but just eye-opening, right? I got red-pilled <laughs> during this process. And at the end of the depositions, we ended up settling with them for $1.49 million dollars. And this was not for the money. You know, there's not enough money. There's no amount of money that could ever repay me for what we went through. And I honestly didn't want to settle. I told my attorney, I don't care if I win $1 in that trial. I want these people held accountable. And my attorney told me he understands. But at the same time, we need to think of this. You know, juries are finicky. Jury is always a toss up. And in society's mind, these are the good guys. Right, we're fighting an uphill battle here, going against doctors, police officers, the social workers. These people are supposedly doing God's work, right? So even if you do win, they're going to appeal it. And we're back to ground zero. We're back to spending hundreds of thousands of dollars 
and think about the toll that it's going to take on you emotionally, financially, physically. My advice to you is that you take this money and run. And you can turn this chapter over in your life and live your life. So I did. You know, I really hated myself <laughs> for settling. I felt like a sellout after those days. You know, probably slept for about three days after that. But I prayed about it. You know, I came to peace with it. We were able to pay off all our debts. We lost our business. We lost our house. So all that money, half of it went to our attorney's fees. And a lot of the rest of the money went for hospital bills or just debt that we had incurred. And I was just thankful that we were able to start with a clean slate. And God gave me a calling, you know, to speak out on behalf of these families. And that's what I have been doing now. I have been speaking about this since 2018, since we settled. And I just now was able to finish this book. And I hope, you know, anybody who's listening can go out there and purchase it. It's for pre-order right now on Amazon. It will be shipped on March 25th. I want to create awareness for every single American about what's going on in this so-called child protective services and child welfare system, which is nothing but. <laughs> so that is my story. You know, I will open it up to questions and answer or to questions if you would like. Michael, what would you like to do? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it's, it's really crazy on how they hackle parents and then they, they take your kid and then they make you get into a, a hairy situation and don't let that guilt bother you because mm -hmm. the way that they're tormenting parents, I mean, you get to the point where you can't even think straight. So um, your story really touched my heart and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm honored that I'm able to bring you on to expose this story. And mm -hmm. wow. I mean, that's crazy. Did they ever even investigate to figure out, like, what was the cause to your son's bruising on his head or was well, it the knee or? According to the child abuse experts at the hospital, which, again, work for the system, <laughs> she said it was non-accidental blunt force trauma. So to this day, we really don't know. You know, I asked her at the hospital, is it possible the nanny dropped him? You know, we had hard ceramic floors in our house and the doctor said, no, not possible. But in speaking with attorneys and investigators, they always told me, you know, that's just that's what they always say. <laughs> right. That's not what they always say to the judges or to the courthouse. They really can't say whether it's accidental or not. Like she wasn't there. Right. How did she know it was non-accidental? But it most definitely was the nanny. Now, how she did it, I don't know. To this day, I don't know. Yeah, you know, and the sad part about it, and, and I want to thank Terry for setting up so many beautiful souls like yourself yes. to come up here. <laughs> um, what's really disheartening is when we're hearing that the ones that we we look up to, and, and don't get me wrong, there's some good cops out there, but Right. Oh, there's some bad ones. I mean, <clears throat> they took an oath and they, they've got common sense. Right. And um, 
we had a mom and a father on here recently and just to hear how they're just ripping these kids out of their hands and just putting them in the hands of something an entity that they gotta know by now that they're not <laughs> a good entity and they're not a um <laughs> i wouldn't even well i pray for all those kids and all the parents oh yes that, that's a bad situation that they're putting them in right so i hope this story touches many and i hope everyone on here shares this story and i hope everybody has a question um i did post the link of rachel's book on the wall and now i will let kelly take over because she's going to be doing the questions and rachel thanks again for joining us oh thank you my pleasure hi rachel hello oh how are you I'm i have two boys so that really touched me you oh. know extra special i'm a boy mama um how is your son doing? I do want to know that um, after all everything. How is your youngest doing? Yes, by the grace of God, he is perfect. <laughs> he is in first grade now. You know, he's reading. He has reached all his developmental milestones. And he did have to have cranial reconstruction when he was about two years old. He had another surgery. He was on anti-epileptics for about a year after the surgery. He had physical therapy for about a year. So, I mean, the poor kid went through a lot those first two years of his life, but he is fine. Thank God. And my 20 month old son at the time, David, he's now eight years old. And again, you know, the 13 vaccinations, I'm like, you people could have killed my son, <laughs> right? To give 13 vaccines at once, but thank God he was fine. Hasn't had any, any side effects from that. He did, you know, have trauma because of his age. He did remember. I mean, he rejected me for probably about a year. You know, he would always say, I don't want you, mommy. I don't want you. I want to go be with my grandma because my mom was the one who, who rescued him, right, from the shelter at that point. And I had to have a sit-down moment with him. I mean, I remember asking him, do you remember when your aunties came to take care of you? And I actually had to have my cousins come from Brazil to the United States to be able to be with my children because I don't have any family here. I had nobody. My husband was going to work. How was my husband supposed to work taking care of a newborn baby and a toddler, a traumatized toddler? And when I asked my son if he remembers that, he says he does. And the first words out of his mouth are, why did you leave? So he knew. And I had to tell him. I showed him the pictures of his brother and the injury. And I told him, you know, they thought that mommy did this. And he automatically, like, frowns his eyebrows. You never heard us, mommy. I'm like, I know. But they thought that mommy did this, but we're not going to let them get away with it. Okay, we're going to fight them. And he looked at me, said, you're going to hit them, mommy? <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to hit them with a pile of papers. <laughs> and that's when we decided to file the petition to sue them. And he was part of that process. You know, and once I had that conversation with him, it was a complete 180. He just needed to know that he was loved, that it wasn't his fault. And what happened, right? He needed closure. So through that, my husband and I as well, we went through therapy for two years. But God has restored everything that they tried to destroy. Wow. And I love, I got to say this as a parent. Um, <laughs> I love how you sat down and you were just, and you explained it to him, you know, right up right. front. This is what happened. I mean, 
I don't know if all parents, believe it or not, would have done it at that age, but you definitely, I like how you handled it, everything. I mean, your story is amazing. Anyone have questions, please um, raise your hand and we'll be happy to call on you. Don't be shy. <laughs> and what state are you in? And I apologize, you probably mentioned it. Yeah, this happened in California. Oh, you did. I'm sorry. Thank you. No worries. But, you know, just let people know it is a federal law, right? So the funding is federal. So unfortunately, this Adoptions and Safe Families Act is in every state. Yeah. And like Mike was saying, I mean, this is, I mean, I'll speak for myself. This is like eye opening, not just your story. I mean, every story Mm -hmm. is so important and it's just eye-opening I did not know this was all going on until recently you know I got red right. on all kinds of stuff but this is like this gets to my heart and soul yeah. I mean this is what the fight's about yeah we, we actually have another mom, mother on here that is well she's still dealing with mm-hmm. yes Tamson um is on the chat with us it's crazy oh she's got a question Kelly Okay, I'll get it. Thank you, Mike. Tamson, you could speak. Thank you for joining us. You got to press the uh, blue button. It'll turn green and you're able to unmute your mic, Tamson. Okay. Yeah, I was talking a while ago when Mike addressed me and then I got cut off. So I haven't been hearing the uh, entire story except some of what I just heard and some before but um, well I don't know whether I have a question but I can say that uh, and I just heard you about talking about I believe you said correct me if I'm wrong were you saying your son was forced vaccinated when he was in foster care yes okay yeah so was mine although I really can't uh, I don't really have a physical evidence because they're denying it right but we know but we know and actually one of the reasons it's even back in 2016 they took them twice and back in 2016 the first time they took them uh one of the reasons on the petition was because we do not believe in vaccines um mm-hmm. yeah we know he was for, our older son was forced vaccinated he has autism he, wow. autism. he was 100 vax free before they took him in 2016 he was a year and eight months old at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we want we want them to, I mean, legally pay for this. Yes. And uh, I'm not sure the best way to go about it when we don't have actual, I mean, they won't admit to it. They, I mean, they've even covered it up from documents, obviously. I mean, right. Checked around. Yeah. Um, there's no sign. There's no uh, documented sign of it. Right. Uh, and we can prove it with common sense and so forth. And even the fact that they even took the kids based on that. Yeah. But they probably uh, do have it in perfect. writing somewhere, Tammy, but we don't have access to it because it's juvenile court and mm-hmm. they have them sealed until they're 18. I mean, when I received the juvenile records, there was over 300 pages that were redacted. But what about like medical? Yeah, medical no, every, everything is in there and it was all redacted. Because they say, you know, it's to protect third-party information, 
It's something that we don't need to know. And my attorney had to make several motions to the judge for the judge to make them come unredacted. But this was after, this was the civil suit. Like during family court, mm-hmm. like there's really, unfortunately, there's really nothing we can do in that stupid system. <laughs> right? Do you have a private attorney or do you have a public defender? Uh, I mean, for family court, right now it is a public uh, uh, contract lawyer, which is equal to, I mean, the equivalent of public defender with a, with the parents. Yeah. Yeah. So they, un- they, unfortunately, they work, you know, in conjunction with the system. They're kind of like coworkers. Oh, we did. Well, actually we did have, even this time around, we did for a while have a, for a long while, have a uh, private attorney that was representing yeah. both of us. And even she couldn't get really yeah. anything. Yeah. It's a lawless system. I mean, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Right. They can write whatever mm-hmm. they want. And I mean, all I could do was pray when I was in this. All I could do was pray. And I know it's painful. I can't imagine. And I can't imagine, (laughs) you know, being separated from your children and not knowing what they're doing to them medically, what they're doing to them physically. But I will just pray a hedge of protection over those children, right? Because they are God's children. Yes. And I remember praying for my son when the doctor told me they didn't know whether he was going to live. And I said, God, I don't care if I have to dedicate the rest of my life to taking care of my son, I will, but don't take him away from me. And the Holy Spirit interceded for me right there and said, he's mine. I gave him to you. Nobody's going to take him away from me. And I had to surrender my son's life at that point. I said, you're right, God, he is yours. He's in your hands. And there's no better place for him to be than in your hands. I pray that right now over your children. They're in God's hands. And they're his. And God will put a hedge of protection over those children. Okay, and he'll put a hedge of protection over your heart. You guard your heart. You don't believe one word what those people say about you. And your children know the truth. Okay, they will try to brainwash them. It's not going to work. They know the truth. Nobody can ever take your place in their life, nobody. Well, right now, DHS is trying to say that, uh, that my younger son is having adjustment issues because like uh, something about how the foster family, which is actually our in-laws, how they, uh, they have a TV and, and we don't have a TV. So, I mean, just that kind of thing. I mean, I mean as far as like coming home. Right. Because we're working towards trial reunification. But yeah, they say yeah, he's having uh, adjustment issues. That's, that's one of the things. Right. Well, of course he is. Like, what do these people think? <laughs> you know, when they took my son, the social worker told me he hasn't eaten or slept. And I'm like, of course. Well, duh. Yeah. Right. Like what you're doing to the children is child abuse. <laughs> yeah. But God will restore it. Okay. Okay. God will restore everything that they tried to take away from you. Okay. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, amen. That's beautiful. Um, next, just to keep up with the flow, we have JW, if you don't mind, and then no no mo twenty-seven. So JW is an admin. You're up. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Thanks Hi. for sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, it, it's awful what you went through, but yeah, I'm so 
happy though that your boys are okay. I know. Your husband are okay and that you stuck together and stayed strong. So yes. That's really important. And and God, you're right, God. God took control. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but my question is, so you mentioned the hospital. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of times you mentioned that young man, the 18-year-old in that group you had right. to go to. It seems like these hospitals are on the payroll here. Um, yes. Because if, let's say, your child, you know, isn't as young and breaks a bone and you go to the orthopedic, I don't think they're calling CPS. You know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. So do, are a lot of the hospitals, is it just maybe, do you, do you know? Uh, like, is it? Like no, all the hospitals, if they have somebody on staff called a child abuse expert or a CAP, right? Child abuse expert, uh, CAP pediatrician, that's what they're called. They receive government grants for having this particular specialty on staff. Even though there is no such specialty in medical school, <laughs> right? There are no classes where somebody teaches you how to become a child abuse expert. So in my case, Her name is Dr. Wong, Daphne Wong, and she works at the Children's Hospital of Orange County in California. She is still employed there. You know, the hospital doesn't want to miss the money or lose the money. And when she came to talk to me, she never identified herself as a child abuse pediatrician or as an expert or ever told me that she's the one who's going to be writing the court report. She just told me she was the pediatrician on staff or on call. And, you know, came and looked at my son, asked me if I had any questions. And I'm pouring my heart out to this woman, right, thinking she's a doctor and that there are HIPAA laws. You know, there are things that are between me and her. And then I go to court three days later and I see her report. And she writes things like mother does not seem empathetic towards the victim. Mother is not exhibiting the normal behaviors of a grieving mother. She says things like, mother was discussing various scenarios with me. And it was shocking, right, to read these things. And my attorney at the time, he actually told me, he's like, did you speak with Dr. Wong? And I said, I did. And he bit bit my head off. He's like, do not talk to that woman. She is the devil. (laughs) And don't ever say anything to her again. Okay. She's the one who's going to be writing the court reports. You don't talk to her about this case. I have pled the fifth for you. You don't talk to them ever again. So long story short, I mean, to answer your question specifically, yes, every hospital has a child abuse expert on staff and they do get money from the government to have them there. Well, I mean, that's eye-opening and frightening. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Uh, no, Mo27, you're up. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I'm I'm curious about when you were talking when they gave uh, vaccines with informed consent to your child. How did they get the, like, informed consent or, like, who was, who was, like, the the person that gave the okay for these vaccines that you mentioned in your story where they gave them a bunch of vaccines yeah i mean at this point there was no informed consent there was no consent on behalf of my husband or i or there wasn't even a court order the person who decided was the public health nurse who worked at the children's shelter that he was taken to so my husband and i you know we were not anti-vaxxers he was vaccinated 
but we had modified the schedule with his pediatrician. But according to the government, he wasn't up to date. So they just took it upon themselves because at that point, my children were considered wards of the state. So the state apparently gave consent (laughs) for the public health workers to put him up to date. There was no, like, I mean, who was the guardian at that point? Like, who, who, you're saying that the, that the state was the guardian of your child and made that decision? Is that, is that yeah. how it went down? Yeah, they called it a protective custody. My child was under protective custody under the state. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was curious about that one. Because when I yeah. heard that, I was like. I mean, it's legal. Yeah, I I mean, you look at, you know, where we're kind of the road that we're going down right now. Yep. And it should kind of, it it should scare the bejesus out of everybody in this chat if they have a kid. Absolutely. I mean, they will do it at school, right? They're already doing it in California, trying to pass bills to be able to vaccinate your children without consent. So, yeah, it should scare the heck out of everybody. Is there any more questions? You, thank, you. Oh, I'm thank, sorry. thank you, Bruno. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. No mode 27. This is BJ. Go ahead, Persis. Do you have questions? Well, I, I just wanted to um, tell Rachel, um, I, I think she's amazing. And, um, I share what I know about being a secured party creditor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that before, Rachel, No, um, no. but it is a process you go through to give notifications that, uh, you're leaving the corporation and mm-hmm. going back under the constitution. So you become what's called a secured party creditor. And in the process of doing that, you claim everything you own. And Mm -hmm. that includes your children. So what happens in that circumstance, you're back under the Constitution. It avoids in the future them ever having the possibility of taking your children um, because they you are not under the commerce law. You're Mm -hmm. not under that family law. You're back under the constitution. So unless you do, you know, bodily harm or property damage mm-hmm. um, and everything you own is protected, um, you, let's say you get stopped for speeding. Um, they can write you a ticket, but you write the judge and the judge writes it off. Um, you don't have to have a driver's license. Um, and so it's a it's a way of really protecting uh, in the future uh, your children. Yeah, um, yeah. have to look into it. Yeah, everything you own. So um, I learned about it from April Lejeune. She has a Telegram channel. She's on uh, YouTube. Um, April Lejeune. It's L A J U N E, and that's how I learned about it. And I went through the process and what kind of warp speed mine. I mean, my son is adult, so I didn't have to worry about that. But last year I was hemming and hawing about it. Um, I had 
um, purchase the information. It was $250 to, to get the drive from her, the USB drive. And that was in December. So then come January 6th mm-hmm. and all of those innocent people that got arrested yeah. and still detained. And I went into warp speed, Rachel. <laughs> I, I couldn't get my paperwork in fast enough. And I thought, come mess with me now because so so it really gives you a layer of protection. And the other reason I wanted it is so that I can carry in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would be a constitutional carry um, in, in all 50 states. Yeah. So I, I would really encourage you and I'll help you in any way, you know, if you need help through the process. Thank you. I appreciate it. I will look into it. <laughs> Bless you, sweetheart. You you are, yeah, amazing. And, Thank you. and yeah, I I really um, being a mom, I just couldn't even imagine. But you are definitely um, a gifted person. Thank you. Yes, we really appreciate you coming on. I don't see any more questions, so I'm going to hand the mic back to Mike. And Actually, again, thank you, Rachel. Thank you. My pleasure. There is a couple more questions. I just have a comment real quick here, Mike. Rachel, you have a, an amazing story. Mm-hmm. God bless you. Thank you. There truly is a special place in hell for these people. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe everything that you and your family went through. That's, that's something else, but... Um, I'm glad that you're here to be able to share this story because these are the type of stories that need to come out and, you know, for, for change to be enacted, people need to know about this stuff. This is just unreal. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I wrote the book. I mean, I want everybody to know about this. Yeah, on Netflix, there was a movie we watched not too long ago. It was about conservatorships. Yes. And those conservatorships, it's all, it sounds almost like the exact same thing, except... It's yep. Children, it's yep. It's so yep. But the rain's picking up here. I'm going to let you go. So thank All you. Right. Well, thank you. Well. Yep. Thank you. All right, Jana, you're up. And then Carol, you're after Jana. Rachel, I feel sorry. I am so glad that you got your children back. Yes. But this is, this is, this is nothing new. Back in 1997, Mm -hmm. my son was over at my mother's-in-law's house, saving grace for us. He was running through her house, and he got a twist. He broke his leg. It was a a twist fracture. Mm. And so, oh, yeah. And so (laughs) they did come to my house, Mm -hmm. and they questioned my son, my husband, and I. But our saving grace is that it didn't happen with us. And so they kind of like just dropped it. Right. And, uh, you know, she's the one that took him to the emergency room and Mm -hmm. my husband and I met her there. Okay. So therefore they couldn't, you know, say that. And I'm glad because then my second son, three, uh, he was in kindergarten and he was uh, at a friend's house and jumping on the trampoline and broke his leg. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Hold on. He got his cast off. Two weeks later, he was at school and broke his leg. His oh, other leg. And so I, I'm just saving grace that, 
they weren't in our custody because way that you're talking is that they were they were coming after my children yeah yeah and this was back in 1997 which my son now is 25 years old i don't think they want him anymore but (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i'm so glad you got your children back and hopefully hopefully within the next i don't know five ten years we don't have this problem anymore I hope so. Yes. I mean, it would take an act of God to overturn this thing, like to just get rid of it altogether. (laughs) Yes. It's like, it's like they have someone just sitting there just waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so glad you got your children back. Me too. Thank you so much. (laughs) Uh Bye. Bye. Carol, you're up. Hi, Rachel. Hi. Um, I just want to iterate and uh, kind of ditto what For the Wind said. Um, Mm -hmm. Your strength is amazing. And what you went through was literally hell. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But I also want to say something to Tamsin. Yes. Yes. (laughs) My heart goes out for you, girl. I can't imagine what you're going through. Um, I'm crying with you. Yep. And you and your children are in my prayers. I promise you that. I I know that God has your kids in their hands. Or in his hands. I know that. I, I know that. And my heart breaks for you, hon. Well, I tell you, Tamsin, maybe me and Persistent can huddle up and uh, figure out something with the secured party creditor, because I think in your situation, that's probably going to be needed. And um, I'm not doing what I'm doing for any fortune, for any fame, any celebrity status. I've been activated from God to expose stories like this, get into the fight and be a digital soldier. Um, so I'm willing to, to, to help you out. Well, I hear what she's saying about it. If, and I know that they, I mean, by law, they would not be able to do any of these things to us. I mean, under that, it's just, they are so corrupt that, I mean, they don't care. And I know they can have a penalty, but while they're waiting for that penalty, what happens to us? That's. My concern, of course, I mean, I have many concerns. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It sounds very wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen the things that they do. I mean, they don't care about anything. Yeah. They love to hurt people. They laugh well, at us. Well, we'll be bringing April or June back on here, and she'll be able to explain to you, because I did bring up the CPS parents to her, and she said, once you become a secured party creditor, you have to wait like 30 days or a certain amount of time. And then they will have to give you your kids back. Because as right now, we are all into corporation. So we, they can do whatever they want, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what it seems like. And it seems like we're powerless. But when you become a secured party creditor, and she can explain it much better, 
you retain the rights to yourself. We don't have rights, even though they try to act like we do. But um, mm-hmm. in many situations, we we can see that, you know, it's like, damn, do we even have a constitution? So, like I said, I am more than willing to financially help you become a secured party creditor. And I'll put my money where my mouth's at. And yeah, so... And I, so yeah, and I also, and I do want to make sure it works because, I mean, like I said, yeah, and as you just acknowledged, they they do what they want. And so with this, with what you're talking about, well, so say they they uh, they understand, maybe they acknowledge that they have to give the kids back, mm-hmm. and then they, they just, they ignore everything. Well, who handles them uh, right. if they don't do what they're supposed to? Who, who even... Uh, Beats out anything like the, so, uh, the that they would have to suffer for not doing so, what they're supposed to. I mean, how does so, this really work? I mean, who goes after them if they don't do what they need to do in that situation? Well, like I said, um, we'll be bringing April or June back on here. Well, can uh, can Bar can uh, can Barbara answer that? Persistent. Oh, go, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I don't know since they're already. Um, um, out of the house. I'm not sure how that would work, but I know April would know the answer uh, to that so question. April, April would be able to tell who takes care of these people, these uh, these officials, if they don't do what they're supposed to do. I mean, if they just ignore everything and laugh at everything. Once you're what you're talking about, I mean, you said they have to give the kids back, and then if they don't do it, then April would know who would go after them for yes. not doing what they have to yes. do. April would know that. Yeah, okay. she she knows um, how this works, and she also um, has a, a paralegal that works with her. So she really uh, gets to the very bottom of the law, um, always, no matter what she's working on. So okay. she has the answers for us. Yeah, and I've been trying to find her, and I on Telegram, I haven't been able to find her. Could you send me a way to get in touch with her? I mean, not even on Telegram. I mean, somehow I have not sure. find her. I don't want to. Sure, I'll I'll send uh, the link to you, honey. Thank you. All right. Sorry about that, Rachel. I know this is your show, but you know. <laughs> well, I'm getting Jean. in late. I'm getting in late. I'd like to hear in a because I didn't hear how she got her children back. I mean, in simple steps. I mean, because I'm coming in a little late. I mean, I, I listened to earlier. I, I can only hear part of the story. So in simple terms, could you, in, I mean, summarize, could you summarize how you got them back? I mean, what did you and your yeah. husband do? There was really nothing that we did, Hampton, to be honest. I mean, my attorney just told me, you do whatever the heck they tell you to do. And don't argue with them. You know, don't fight with them. I was enrolled in the 53-week parenting class, the 24-week child abuse class. I took the psychiatric evaluation. I took the polygraph. I mean, I did everything they asked of me. But on the 40th day, I had a hearing. And we went to that hearing and my attorney basically signed a no contest plea at that hearing, you know, because I guess they didn't have, I mean, the, the investigation was at a standstill since they weren't going after the nanny and they knew they didn't have anything on me. So at that point, I don't know what my attorney did in there because we didn't even go into the courtroom. 
we were outside the hallway the whole time and it was just a bunch of lawyers in that courtroom and he came out with a stack of papers and told me if you're willing to sign the document the way it is written there's nothing in here admitting guilt there's nothing in here saying that you did this it's just the social workers narrative the doctor's narrative the police reports the investigation then they will let you go home today and he told me like he's been doing this for 23 years and he'd never seen anybody go home before trial. So everything I was doing was in preparation for trial. So what was, you, it, what was it they had you sign? It was a, the narrative. Uh, why would they have you sign a narrative? It was just the whole report, like from, you know, day one until that 40th day. But where, what did they say why you need, why they needed your signature? It that wasn't a contest basically saying that uh, no what they, that what they stated inside that report was true. Right, that my son had suffered a cranial fracture. That, you know, what I told the police officers were true, what they did was true. There was, my attorney went in and actually had me initial and scribble lines out, you know, and then he would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This, this went on for like three hours until he finally got the document that he felt was accurate. And like he said, there was no admission of guilt and there was nothing in there saying that I did it. So it was a no contest plea, basically. Okay, I thought no contest was more for a criminal. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that they, he didn't call it that. He just told oh, me, if you sign the document the way it's written, they will let you go home today. That's all he told me. Okay, and was this court-appointed attorney? No, this was private. Oh. All right, we do have a question. Gene T, you're up. Hey, Rachel. Hi. Um, I just, hey, how are you? Hey, I just want to thank you quickly um, for just sharing your soul with us again tonight and sharing your pain, sharing your trauma and your experience, um, and then choosing to use it to bring awareness even after your family is back together and you're starting to heal. I just think that's incredible that you're still staying and choose to help others. Um, and also personally, it's so encouraging to me that there is hope that you cling to God and you have your family back. Um, I haven't seen my little girl in three years now. Mm -hmm. um, so I just want to that brings a lot of encouragement. Oh, so thank, thank you. Thank you, Jane. I mean, that's why I do it. You know, I always tell people I would never have chosen this, but it is now my calling. Mm -hmm. And I know, you yeah, know, the strength absolutely. I have from God. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. And you now have a skill set that's totally unmatched, unlike any other, because of the experiences of the pain, it makes you stronger. Yeah. But thanks for the encouragement. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'll be praying for your little girl. Is there anything? you would like to share? Um, I'm actually speaking on here on the 17th. Um, and I'm just you know, another mom with a total horror story. But yeah, if you just want to pray for little Sydney, yes. that would mean the most. I will. Same thing I said to Tatum, to Tansen. You know, they're all God's children. They're all in his hands. And if we can believe it, if we can imagine it, we know he loves them more than we do. 
Absolutely. So right. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So if anybody else has a question or would like to say something to Rachel, if you press the middle button, it'll show us your hands being raised and we can click on you. So if anybody has something to say, please press the middle button. I have one more question, if that's cool. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Nomo. Um, I'm curious, what would you have to say advice to parents nowadays with what you have gone through, what would be one thing advice based on what you went through that you would tell parents uh, with, with how things are? Yeah, well, with regards to going to a hospital, you know, just like my attorney said, do not speak to Dr. Wong, she is the devil. Like anytime I go to a hospital now, I will Google who the child abuse expert is at that hospital. Right. And if that hospital does have such a position and if they do and that person shows up at the hospital, do not talk to that person. <laughs> OK, you know, the Fifth Amendment exists for a reason and you just share the minimal amount of information and only answer the minimum. Right. The yes and no, whatever they ask you, but don't say anything else to those people. Same thing if you are in the hospital and the police show up or detectives show up or any of those people show up, you do not have to speak to them. Get a lawyer as soon as possible and no warrant, no entry, right? That's basic, but something that I didn't know when it comes to child welfare or if they come knocking saying that they're going to take your kid away, they do need a warrant for that. Now, you know, kindly tell them that they need to get off your property and come back with a warrant which again, doesn't mean that they won't come back. They probably will come back with a warrant, but it'll at least give you time to find a place for your children, you know, get your children out of there. And again, get a private attorney. I would beg my family. I would sell my car. I would do whatever I had to do to get a private attorney because unfortunately the public defenders get paid very little. You know, back in my case, we got paid $700 a case. So, you know, they just want to get paid and next. And I think that that would be, yeah, my most pieces of advice. You know, be careful with all the mandated reporters we have out there now. Teachers are mandated reporters. Doctors are mandated reporters. Pastors are mandated reporters. Psychologists are mandated reporters. So be very, very careful with who you choose to share your family's information with. And that's interesting that you mentioned about the public defenders because, I mean, to be honest, my best friend, he has a law degree. And mm -hmm. when I try and tell him about uh, common law versus maritime law and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the, the scene that we're into, he rolls his eyes at me. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, these public defenders they're a part of the system that yeah. that makes this happen so right. yeah that's yeah i i hear you all right if anybody has anything to say or a question for rachel please press the middle button i know we're going over an hour now i won't 
keep her too much longer. Um, and Rachel, thanks again. Um, yeah, my pleasure. No, thank you for giving me the platform. And I'm just here, you know, to do God's calling. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just want to reassure you, this platform now is your platform. So whatever you need to share, don't be a stranger. Um, because there's a lot of mothers out there that that needs the empowerment, the encouragement, and, and some words, even the word of God, understanding that God is always in control of every situation. Yes. And sometimes he will keep a situation going until we get on our knees and recognize that, you know, we can't do it with without showing a little bit of acknowledgement to him and asking Amen. him for help. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, Rachel, I want to thank you so much. I am going to stop the recording and I appreciate you for coming on and I will be promoting this all over the place and your story is going to reach many. And I encourage everyone that was on here tonight, whenever that recording is out, share it, share it, share it, and share the stories that you guys hear on here from some of these mothers that are dealing with such an evil force that is uh, aligning with Satan and not God. And thank you again, Rachel. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everybody, for your questions and for your encouragement. I will be praying for each and every one of you. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.